Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Last week was a fantastic time together. Not that this Sunday won't be or isn't, but um, last Sunday, let me say this. We have church every Sunday in hopes that it'll be like last Sunday. The problem is there'll probably only be about 10 of them this year, or at least that's been my experience for me. And uh, it was a fantastic time together, and I know there's been people asking for... um, the sermon. And so we duplicated the sermon from last week and we put it on a table out, out there. Um, if you weren't here, I'd, I'd encourage you to listen to it. We've begun a series um, of sermons talking about faith. And last week we talked about how faith is an expectation. And we talked about our expectations. And we also talked about how faith is a refusal to settle. And we looked at the life of Abraham. And Abraham refused to settle in a, dry, in a dry place. He refused to settle in a land of little fruit. And sometimes faith for us is a refusal. And faith is an expectation. So this series of sermons on faith, um, it coincides with the themes of Advent. I've never done Advent before, so we're doing it in a sort of radiant way. Um, And it also coincides with the life of Abraham, who is called in Scripture the father of all who believe. And the the thing that I want to stress this morning, because we're going to talk this morning about how faith asks us to wait. Which may seem to contradict what I told you last week. But faith asks us to do many things. Faith will ask us at times to refuse Faith will ask us to seize. Faith will ask us to take hold of things. But faith will also ask us to wait. As as Sean was leading the worship up here, um, I, I, I felt like at a certain point, we stopped just reading the words on the screen and we started connecting with the hopes that we have. Um... And the bondage that we feel, the oppression that we sense, and our desire to be delivered, our desire to be free from the things that have got us tangled up. And it started to kind of set in that, yeah, there are things that I'm hoping for, there are things that I'm expecting, and there are things that I'm waiting on. And as Janelle shared her testimony, um, part of what we celebrated was, um, you know, if Jonelle would have hopped up and said to us, you know, yesterday I was just down in the dumps and, uh, and, and the Lord has set me free. I'm, I'm in a better mood today. Uh, we, we, we would have probably been like, well, that's great. Thanks for sharing. I don't know why you shared, but thanks for sharing. Um, but, be- but because she hopped up and she said, actually, 18 years of clinical depression, it was like, Wow. She's been waiting.
and the weight has made the deliverance sweet, and the weight has made some, the weight has um, puts us in a place where we want to celebrate. So, Hebrews chapter eleven, it's known known as the Hall of Faith. You've probably heard a sermon on Hebrews chapter eleven, but it describes how men and women of old how they walked by faith. By faith, Abel worshipped, and by faith, Enoch walked. Faith asked Noah to work, and it asked Abraham to be willing. Sarah waited in faith, and David warred in faith. It took faith to welcome for Rahab. It took faith to win with Moses. Abraham's faith was tested as he was asked to sacrifice his son. The point I'm trying to make is that faith asks us to do quite a few things. It's both and. And this week I want to talk about how we walk by faith when we wait. And we walk by faith when we repent. We are uh, prepared and shaped as we wait. And we're prepared and shaped as we repent. And I, and I, want, I want to say this before we move on. I believe that a life of faith is a life of waiting. We're prepared through longing and repenting. We're purified through longing and repenting. The Advent season is a time to prepare. The traditional emphasis on the second week of Advent, which I believe was last week, um, is that it's a time to prepare. It's a time to get ready. There's an importance placed on being prepared to welcome Jesus. And as I reflected on the things that I believe that God uses to prepare us, as I thought about the things that God uses to get us ready, I started thinking about a good weight. A good weight and how that prepares us. And I started thinking about repentance and how that prepares us to receive Jesus. I know if you've been in church, uh, even just a few times, you've probably heard the phrase, wait on the Lord. Lord, we wait on you. We wait on the Lord. Let's wait on the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I've wondered what that looks like, what I'm supposed to do when someone says that, and what that means. Does that mean that we passively sit and stand by? Um, Does that mean that we continue to anticipate and expect What does it mean to wait on the Lord? And what does it look like to wait with faith? Not to resign, but to wait with faith. There's uh, lots of waiting in the Christmas story. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were the eventual parents of John the Baptist. They've been waiting for a child all their lives. And there are some of you here that are still waiting for a child. And you know what that's like. You know how agonizing that is. You know how um, disappointing that can be. 
Zachariah and Elizabeth had been waiting their whole lives. Mary, I'm sure, had a pretty incredible nine months, yeah? Waiting. Some of you can't wait to find out if it's a boy or a girl. The day you can get into the office, you're going to be there asking, is it a boy or a girl? Um, Because you can't stand to wait. Imagine hearing that day, it's not a boy or a girl, it's a Messiah. Imagine all that would run through your head for nine months. It's enough just to uh, expect a child and to wonder, what's this going to be like? (laughs) Imagine giving birth to the Savior of the world. I imagine that to be a long nine months for Mary. She's such an... uh, Mary... Such an incredible example to us. I think because there's been excess in some parts of the body of Christ, we've reacted by really minimizing her role and her importance in the church. She's such an incredible example of faith and obedience and persistence in following God's call, even when the details are unclear. The people of Israel had been waiting for a Messiah for centuries. Waiting for centuries. To top it off, God hasn't, hadn't spoken for 400 years leading up to the birth of Christ. The people had been waiting to hear from God for hundreds of years. There's lots of waiting in the Christmas story And I'm sure there's been lots of waiting in your Christian story. Am I right? Are there things that you're still waiting for? Maybe promises that God's spoken to you. Maybe things that God said. Maybe you've got a sense that God wants to do something and you're waiting for that to happen. A pretty clear... um, I don't know about you guys, but... I guess I would say how many of you know that waiting can take a toll on your faith? There was half of me that wanted to sing that chorus like this. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. I don't believe this, but Sean's making me sing it over and over again. I feel so bound. I feel so bound. I feel so bound. Waiting takes a toll on your faith. Yeah? Hebrews 11 says that by faith Abraham was tested as he waited. I hate waiting. Is there anything? I'd rather hear no than wait. How about when you come before God to ask, and he doesn't say yes, and he doesn't say no, and he says wait. What does that do to you? I know what it does to me. I think we get a clear picture of what can happen, um, the toll that a wait can take on your faith, when we, when we read the story of Zechariah. And I'm going to read it to you. In the time of Herod the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah 
who belonged um, to the priestly division. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was put on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then Zechariah chimes up. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So here we have it, a word comes to Zechariah, you're going to have a son, his name's going to be John, and Zechariah says, hey, problem, I'm old. And I think sometimes our experience can be a hindrance or a really a foundation for unbelief. Because I think what's speaking here. What Zachariah is probably feeling is probably years and years of disappointment. And sometimes our experience can be a foundation for unbelief. And we're not able to receive the word of the Lord and respond in faith because of the weight. Weight can take a toll on your faith. How do we wait with faith? What's interesting is to compare Zachariah's response with Mary's response, which is what? Be it to me. I don't even, <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what her response is. <laughs> is it, let it be to me according to your word? What did Mary say? Wow, oh, that was a point that was just. And then Mary says, be <laughs> Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. And if she didn't, I'm sorry. 
but I'm pretty sure that's what she said. Let it be to me according to your word. I would say Mary's got a bigger, bigger problem in that she's never been with a man. I believe that Mary has grounds for her unbelief. Not that Zechariah doesn't, but he's got age. Um, Mary's 16 and has never been with a man. And yet her response is, let it be to me according to your word. And I think we get a picture of sometimes what years and years of waiting on God can do to your faith. We see in Mary a a zealous 16-year-old willing to follow God. We see in Zechariah someone well along in age and going, hey, we've been at this for a while and it hasn't happened. And I'm not too excited to count on this again. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for children? Are you waiting for a spouse? Are you waiting for healing? Are you waiting for freedom? The Christmas story is about people waiting and trusting God for these very same things. Every, as I thought more about waiting, I thought every uh, one of us is going to have to wait. The question is, will you wait well? Everybody's got to wait. Will you wait well? In Luke 12, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke 12, um, verses 35 through 40, Jesus shares with us how we should wait. How do we wait in faith? Luke 12, verse 35 says this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The context of this passage, if you read, I would encourage you to read the rest of Luke 12. Not while I'm talking, uh, unless it gets that bad and then you have permission to do that. But give me a shot. The context of the passage um, is that Jesus is talking to his disciples about stewardship. They've essentially been walking with him for a little while and they're asking him, okay, in light of what we now know, how should we live? 
In light of what we know, how should we steward our lives? What's really interesting about this passage, if you noticed it, is that at some point, Jesus begins to refer to himself in the third person. So they ask him a question, and he's responding, hey, get ready, get dressed, keep your lamps burning. And then he ends by saying, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That would be a little bit like me being in front of you and charging you to do certain things and be certain things, and then telling you, because at a certain time, Travis is coming back. Which must have, for the disciples, been a little bit weird. I think I would have asked, well, aren't you here? And why are you referring to yourself in third person as the Son of Man? This isn't uncommon. I know for years, Saturday Night, lived on, Saturday Night Live lived on the fact that Bob Dole did this. Every skit was about Bob Dole, Bob Dole this, Bob Dole that. So this is what happens. Jesus is talking to disciples, and then he begins to refer to himself in the third person. See, what the disciples didn't understand at this time is that there would be what? A second coming. We now know as Christians that we're living in the time between the times. We now know as Christians that we're living in a time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, his return. The disciples didn't understand this. Jesus was there speaking with them and referring to himself as the one who is coming. Not only was he there, not only was he present, but he's also the one that was to come. The Advent time is a time to keep in mind the coming of Jesus as a babe at Christmas, but it's also a time to anticipate and wait for the second coming of Jesus because we live in the times between the first and second coming. The Bible is really clear. You, say, um, you see, it says that Jesus has come. The king had come, and therefore the kingdom had come. So many times Jesus said the kingdom is near. It's already here, but it's also not yet. Because the kingdom has not been fully consummated yet. And it will be upon the return of Jesus when the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our God and King. His term has started. But it's not been completed. He's been inaugurated. But his time is not completed. The end has begun, but it's not yet been completed. So, we are to wait ready. Wait ready. We wait in the light of knowing that there's coming accountability. Verse 40 says, The Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. How many of you don't expect Jesus to return? Be honest. Okay. How many of you wake up every morning and go, this could be the day? 
Jesus is coming back. That means that the rest of you don't wake up thinking that. Glad we have an honest church. Christ has set up a spiritual kingdom. But again, we eagerly await as Christians, we anticipate when the kingdoms of this world become, will become the kingdoms of our God and King. The kingdom is now, and it's not yet. So I think Jesus lays out about three different things that we need to do in order to wait well. And I want to show you those things inside this passage. Because I believe, I believe that it applies to more than waiting for the return of Christ. There are many different things that you're waiting on God for. There are many different things that you're waiting in faith for. And I believe that Jesus was teaching us in this passage how to wait. How do we wait with faith? How do we wait well? Again, every one of you has got to wait. Everybody has got to wait at the DMV. The difference is that there are some people waiting well and there are others not doing so hot. And we know this because of the sighs that happen. Watch, watch, text, text, watch, watch. There are some that wait well. This is, uh, I think Jesus lays out for us how we wait well, how we wait in faith, how we anticipate. On the bulletin, there's blanks for you to fill in. It's the first time we've ever done this. It's all a part of being a mega church. Just go with it. I was so excited about this. (laughs) It's the only way we can make sense of waiting is to put some blanks on your page and let you fill in it. (laughs) Waiting doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know that we see clearly until we're looking back on it. So the first thing that Jesus reminds us in this passage in Luke uh, 12 to wait with is an anticipation. Verses 35 and 36 say, say, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and he knocks. The first thing we're to wait with is anticipation. I'll wait while you fill that in. The word here is stay, um, stay dressed. If you've got a King James uh, Bible, it actually uses this phrase, gird up your loins, which I would not recommend anybody using. Uh, but the idea is this, that people in those days wore robes. 
And those robes weren't easy to run in. So the idea of girding up your loins was like, get a belt and cinch that stuff up. Be dressed for action. Be prepared. Pull up your skirt. Let's go. We're going. Be dressed for action. Gird up your loins. The second picture that we get here is one of lamps. Jesus encourages us when we wait to keep our lamps burning. Obviously, people back in this day didn't have street lights, so they would keep their lamps burning when they were waiting for somebody to return. You know, this isn't, um, uh, this isn't foreign to us. We say things to people like, I'll keep the light on. Or we say to someone who we don't want to anticipate our return, don't keep the light on. Motel 6, their slogan is, we'll keep the light on for you. This is the idea here. We wait with an anticipation because the return of Jesus is a certain event at an uncertain time. So we wait with anticipation. But we don't just wait with anticipation, we wait with an assurance. Read with me verses 36 and 37. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants This text is full of promises for the people that are faithful. Blessed, blessed, blessed. We wait with assurance. We wait with confidence. I believe that much of what it takes to wait well is assurance. Those that are waiting well are waiting with confidence. Those that aren't doing so hot are anxious. Those that are waiting well are waiting with an assurance because it's, we're not just called to have faith. It's not just faith for the sake of faith. Hey, have faith, brother. We're called to have faith in a God who promises and is faithful. And so we don't just wait with anticipation. We wait with assurance. Jesus assures blessing for those who don't postpone faithfulness. He assures blessing for those who don't postpone faithfulness. This passage is all about how to steward your life in light of his coming. He assures blessing for those who don't postpone faithfulness. The third thing that he calls us to wait with is an alertness. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus here has jumped into another picture to help us understand how to wait ready. He actually says, be on alert. And, and, And you're probably... I don't know, as I read this, I was thinking to myself, is Jesus coming to steal my stuff? Be ready, Jesus is coming to steal your stuff, you know? Because Jesus is the thief in this passage, right? 
when Jesus refers to himself as a, a thief, he's talking about the surprise of his coming, not the character of somebody who steals. Jesus won't take your stuff. <coughs> what he's trying to say here is that it's going to be a surprise, so be alert. So when you wait ready, be alert, be assured, and anticipate my coming. Um, the emphasis here is on preparation. Revelation sixteen fifteen says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. We're to dress ourselves with readiness as we wait, as we wait ready, as we wait with faith. This would just be, I mean, even if you don't believe in Jesus and don't believe he's coming back, this would just be good advice for you not to get caught naked and be shamefully exposed. This means as we are alert and as we anticipate um, and as we're assured, um, we're not we're not looking for the antichrist we're looking for our savior and i feel like so much of what i see namely on tv is looking for an antichrist and not looking for our savior and jesus says when i when you when you wait i want you to look for me he doesn't say hey wait and there's a guy coming with six syllables in each of his names. You know, and it's not, it, don't look for the Antichrist. Look for me. Look for your Savior. As we wait, there are things to be. Uh, read this passage with me out of 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds so that you may pray. As we wait, there's things to be. There's also things to do. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Talk about sober. Talk about being sober about the way you run your mouth. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So there's, there's quite a few things that we uh, want to, that we need to be as we wait. Listen, there's more things that we should do as we wait ready, as we wait in faith. Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we pr- profess, for he who promised is faithful. Again, there's our assurance, not in faith, but faith in the one who is faithful. Faith in the one who has promised. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We're living in light of the eminent and soon coming return of Jesus Christ. And this changes us. 
The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, and even more as we see the day approaching. Do I know the day? Absolutely not. Do I know that the day is approaching? Yes, I do. As we see the day approaching, do these things. Don't give up on meeting together and encourage one another. We're living in the light of a certain event that's happening at an uncertain time. And this changes us because, like I said earlier, we don't postpone faithfulness. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't put this off. Don't postpone faithfulness. Do it now. In light of not knowing when he'll return, don't postpone faithfulness. And I I feel like we do this all the time. We do this like diets on Monday. Are you quitting smoking on Monday? We postpone faithfulness all the time. This is what we do. Tomorrow, 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 I'll do tomorrow. Right? If not that, I think we tell ourselves things like this in regards to our faithfulness and our response to God. We say things like, well, I'm a student. I really don't have the money to be generous right now. Well, we're starting a new family and we don't really have time to give ourselves to the service or mission or ministry. We just don't really have time for that. We're starting a new family right now. Well, I've got, a, I've got a new job. I've got a new job right now, and so my talents need to be used there. None of those things are bad things. I'm just saying that we excuse and we postpone our faithfulness. We, we, uh, we wait ready. And how many know it takes a great faith to wait like this? When uh, John the Baptist came announcing that the Messiah would come and people hadn't heard anything from God for 400 years, I'm sure it was pretty easy for people to go, right, sure. It's difficult to wait ready. It's difficult to wait with faith. It's difficult to wait and hold on to anticipation and to hold on to our assurance and to be alert when we wait. But we're called to wait ready. And I believe that this is what Jesus was talking about, what it looks like to wait with faith. Are you willing to wait and trust God with your satisfaction? No, here, I'll say it again. Are you willing to wait and trust God with your satisfaction? Are you willing to wait? And if so, for how long? How long are you willing to wait? I think sometimes when the Lord asks me to wait, I think to myself, this is hard. It's hard to wait. A life of waiting on you is a hard life. And let me tell you this, that what is hard is the life that you live when you don't wait on God. That is freaking hard. I think it's a lie that the enemy sets up that says, well, to wait on God for your satisfaction is difficult. Do what you need to do. 
and it's presented as kind of the easy way out or the easy option. Not waiting on God is what is hard. We, we don't like waiting. Man, I don't like waiting. We live uh, in a really impatient society and culture. When things are advertised and somebody wants to sell you on something, they put a tagline on like this in half the time. Doesn't matter if it's cooking, doesn't matter if it's a haircut, doesn't matter what it is, it's sold to you by saying in half the time. Or in just seconds. This is the selling point for us. Because we hate to wait. How many of you have spent time recently on a dial-up? It's like, I'm going to take my life waiting for this. You know, you become so used to having access immediately. In seconds. In half the time. This is what's really interesting is because I feel like so, much, so many people have catered to me and catered to my impatience. I don't think I should have to wait. I'm standing in line and I'm, getting, I'm going, get another clerk. And get him up here on a register now. I shouldn't have to wait. I shouldn't have to wait in a line like this. I'm about to spend my money with you. I shouldn't have to wait. We don't even think we should have to wait. We've got a really negative view of, of waiting. Oh, don't go to Disneyland on those days. You'll have to wait. <laughs> it is. It's like, it's like the make or break deal, you know? How long's the wait? <laughs> Tell me now. And the question I started asking myself, and I think the question that we should ask ourselves in this Advent season is, is waiting ever a good thing? And what does it produce in our life? Better question, what happens when you don't wait? Psalm 27, 14, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous. Because it takes that to wait. Wait patiently on the Lord, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Waiting and longing, uh, they prepare us. Waiting and longing purify us. Waiting changes us. It's for better or for worse, but waiting changes us. It, uh, I don't know about you guys, but it causes all kinds of stuff to come to the surface for me when I'm asked to wait. There's like a pump of my flesh to the surface when I'm asked to wait. Waiting causes us to deal with our, our motivations and our independence.
Waiting also makes things sweeter. And waiting makes us grateful for what we've received. I, I confront this every time I leave our country. In Africa, they asked me to give them my watch and said, in America, you have watches, but in Africa, we have time. I couldn't stand it. Church for like four hours, two hours of it was like introductions. We would be late to something and the pastor would stop and talk to someone on the side of the road. How's your mom? I'm like, come on, bro. I wanted uh, to encourage you to continue to wait and to wait ready and to wait with faith this morning. To wait and anticipate. To wait with insurance. uh, Insurance. Get insurance because you don't know if it's going to pan out. To wait for assurance. uh, And to wait with alertness. And I guess I just wanted to continue to ask, uh, what, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? What hopes do you have? And have you resigned or are you waiting ready? Is this process that God's got you in uh, producing and preparing you? I was going to talk as well about repentance and how repentance prepares us and how John the Baptist came. Uh, and prepared the way for Jesus by preaching repentance. And I uh, will put the words of the first part of this sermon in action, and I will wait to preach that. And I was so excited because um, if you're a preacher, there's nothing better to preach than repentance. So wait with anticipation for this word that I will bring on repentance. But just so we get to fill this thing out, because it's really important that we fill these things out. The five, the five steps of uh, repentance. The first is conviction. The second is confession. The third is repentance. The fourth is restitution. And the fifth is reconciliation. And I was so excited to talk about that. The first is conviction. The second is confession. The third is repentance. The fourth is restitution. And the fifth is reconciliation. I, 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 just, I just feel like it, it's a bit much to talk both about waiting on the Lord and, and, and what it looks like to repent. And it's 1220. <laughs> Hey, so what we're going to do is um, we're going to pray and let you go. Um, if you want to stay here because you, um, you can see that you've stopped waiting ready. You've stopped waiting with faith and you want to surrender some things and wait on the Lord. I'd encourage you to stay. Um, Sean is going to lead some worship. If you're here and you've got kids and, you've want, uh, and you want to sit, stay, would you send your spouse to go get your kids? Uh, so that both of you, what I'm saying is that only one of you can wait on the Lord. <laughs> so you can talk about who needs it worse. Um, 
but you can't both wait on the Lord because the people doing childcare can't wait for you. But the, the altar is open if you feel like you need to wait on the Lord and bring your hopes and dreams and prayers before him again. Trust him to break every chain, then, then you're, you're welcome to do that this morning. Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for teaching us how to wait. And thank you for modeling for us what a life of faith looks like. And we just recognize that it takes uh, quite a bit of faith to wait. Um, and in some areas, we've not been waiting ready. We don't have a, an anticipation. We don't feel assured that you're going to come through. And so we just bring those areas before you. We bring those things to you and ask that you teach us how to wait, teach us how to anticipate. Pray that you'd give us discernment as a church as last week we talked about what it looks like to seize in faith and what it looks like to take hold and what it looks like to possess by faith. And this week we're talking about what it looks like to wait by faith. We put our, our confidence in you. We ask that you'd grow us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. There is a heavenly city that I'm compelled to find. Oh, I love the flowers and trees and the smell of the grinding sea and all the beautiful things here in life. Bye.